definitely on the commercial side with trying to get as many crops as you can shipped out to people um, fairly inaccurate in that it's basically just like buy seed and plant it and then it's ready within hours. Um, so that they're not accurate. It's more just like a vibe and then a way to just spend time. There's probably, I would, I don't know if there are like in-game purchases. I feel like there probably are. Um, I'm sure there's ones in that category that offer that. Um, but yeah, it's just kind of a way to casually in your free time farm, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Talk Ag to Me, the podcast dedicated to improving ag literacy around the globe. I'm your host, Brandon Black, and in today's episode, we're talking all about farming in fiction. To join me for this topic, we have a fan favorite and a good old-fashioned guest, uh, Abby Morrison. Abby, go ahead and let the audience remember, or remind the audience who you are. Hi, everybody. My name is Abby Morrison. I am the host of the Field Lab Earth podcast. We talk about past and present advances in agronomy, crop, soil, and environmental sciences. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for coming back. I know that we had a lot of fun in our last episode, and we've had some some good conversations since then. So I wanted to make sure you got another chance to come back on and, and have some fun some fun talking about some fun stuff that we both you know relate to quite a bit as nerds and also fans of agriculture. For sure. <laughs> so today's episode is going to work a little bit differently than our average episode would. Um, we're going to be tackling this almost as kind of like a like a YouTube top 10 list, I guess you could kind of say. Um, so the, the topic of this episode is, as, as I mentioned, farming and fiction. So we're going to be covering agriculture as it's represented in various forms of media, whether it be video games or movies or books or TV shows or anything that we could find it a final way to fit it into. And as anyone who's listened to this podcast knows, I'm a big fan of relating agriculture to anything I can find it. And so I, I'm pretty, I'm pretty excited about this episode to say in the least. Yeah, for sure. I am super jazzed. <laughs> so uh, I think, you know, I think the best way to, to hop into it is just to explain how this is going to work. So we're, we're going to have um, you know, a, a few honorable mentions for, for who could have made the list, but I either already did episodes on them or there just wasn't a whole lot of information on them to really have a full conversation about them. So we'll go into those. And then we have a few categories we're going to cover for about how much agriculture is involved in these different media forms. And then we'll kind of have like many discussions on each of these topics as we go along. All righty. So, I'm all ready. Right. <laughs> uh, so I think to, to, hop into it we kind of just start with the honorable mentions I don't, I don't know if you if you have any other comments you want to start with uh no I think we're just ready to get rolling <laughs> all right so on our honorable mentions list we have uh starting off with the Martian which I did an episode on we had a you know a pretty lengthy conversation on the on the Martian already but uh, it's a good one to always come back and talk about just because it has a very obvious theme of agriculture going on with, you know, survival and, and, you know, learning about botany and soil health and all this kind of stuff to try to survive on the planet of Mars. Um, Abby, since you haven't, since you weren't on the episode where we talked about the Martian, are there any other comments you wanted to add on to that one? Uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, I think, well, I get that's a lie. I do. <laughs> uh, I think a, a cool one to bring up about the Martian is just like using the nutrients that are found in human waste to make food. He does that to make potatoes in the movie and book. 
we did an episode on, on that on our show and it was super interesting. So that's kind of the main key point <laughs> to point out on that one, I think. Yeah, that's super cool. I mean, that's something I get questions about all the time. It's like, is that really feasible? And I always have to tell them like, well, under the right conditions, you know, there, there's definitely a possibility there, but um, I, I, maybe you guys were able to find more, more information on it than I did. Were you guys able to come to a conclusion about how, how possible it would be to, to do something like that? Uh, we didn't talk specifically about like the Martian as, <laughs> as its own thing, but there is a lot of opportunity there. The there's kind of two get categories there. So one would be urine and then obviously you'd have feces and they're, they, they have to be handled differently because urine is mostly sterile. So you can kind of just start off with that. You have to watch your ratios, obviously, and things like that for, you know, getting the correct nutrients in there. Um, human waste, uh, solid waste has to be treated a little differently because there is a health risk there. Mm -hmm. Um, so you just have to process it to make sure that it's not going to make you sick, but both are feasible. And our guest, Rebecca Nelson, who is actually the, um, she was one of our keynote speakers, uh, no, sorry, plenary speakers at the annual meeting this year for the tri societies or societies. That's who I work for, by the way. Mm. Um, she she's done a lot of work in trying to research these systems and how to set them up and how to get that processing in place, whether that's adjusting the plumbing system or having um, kind of like separate bowls, I guess, for <laughs> for different kinds of waste or, you know, just studying the different cycles and scales that you can do this at. So it is feasible, but it does. It's not like you can just like dump things directly into your garden necessarily it's a little gotcha. more complicated than that <laughs> as most things tend to be with agriculture indeed <laughs> yeah so uh, next up we have star wars i'm gonna actually kind of lump this in with the mandalorian because they mm -hmm. are under the same category um and we did do a full episode on star wars already but um it's always a, a good one to talk about just because it's so immersive and there's so you know there's so much there just because it's such an expansive universe um so the Mandalorian covers it quite a bit. They have a full episode dedicated to farming. Um, they actually have several episodes dedicated to the farming. Technically, um, you know, you have characters who you know come from farming backgrounds in in the show. There's there's an episode where they go to a farming village and have to defend it. I mean, there's just so much to talk about just in the Mandalorian alone. And then in Star Wars as a whole, as I talked about in the other episode that we did on it, um, there's there has to be planets that are dedicated to farming, or else they wouldn't be able to have a running economy like they do. So there's definitely some some you know something to talk about there in terms of how agriculture works on on the massive scale obviously in the original trilogy you have luke who lives on a moisture farm and in the in the newest trilogy you have luke who is milking his his blue cow um but yeah there's just there's so much there just because it's such a massive universe that it would take the entire episode to explain all of it again yeah yeah, I don't I don't have a ton to add. I know that it comes up a lot. Um, I think what's it offers a lot of opportunity to look at like alternate sources of farming. Like I'd be interested if if Luke's family could like set up wind turbines or something in their desert environment and like get some kind of I don't know, environmental credit or something. Um yeah. or just like different kinds of, you know fruits and vegetables and livestock that they have in their universe. Obviously they have a lot, like are there Tauntaun farms or um, uh, the ones, the sand people ride. Oh, the, with, the big curly hurts. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but, like, is there a Bantha farmer? Oh, and then um, shoot. What is his name? The, this is the, uh, no, 
I have spoken guy from Mandalorian. I feel like oh. he has kind of like a little sub farm of his livestock that they ride. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's probably opportunity there. I feel like such a bad nerd forgetting the <laughs> names of things, but it's been a while. So I think uh, it's been a while too. I, I think his name's Queel or something like that. Yeah, something like that. Um, I'm sure. It, correct us, internet oh, people, yeah. <laughs> please. <laughs> yeah, we're we're gonna talk about a lot of fan bases today. We're gonna get a lot of stuff wrong, so feel free to correct us. Um, you know, we we like to have the right information, so be happy to reach out. Um, yeah. So I think that you know, like like you mentioned, Star Wars is just a big one. It's really hard to, to cover everything, but there's a lot of good stuff there. That's just you know, it seems to pop up quite a bit. It would be interesting to see how they handle a lot of the more intricate parts of their you know their economy i mean we see in the newer trilogy that they have like food rations so where that food comes from will be interesting to see mm-hmm. um obviously you mentioned like you know, they ride the tauntauns so somebody has to be training them so who's who's breeding and training tauntauns on hoth of all places mm-hmm. um you know and you also have like a uh the the actual moisture collection on tattooing we never get to see how they actually collect moisture properly so seeing how that would work would be really cool but um, yeah, that's a that's a big one. Like I said, that that's one that that you know could take an entire episode and has taken an entire episode in and of itself. So, uh, you know, best to not spend too much time on that one. Um, sure. Another another honorable mention that we had was uh, one that you brought up, which was uh, Silver Spoon. I'm gonna go ahead and let you talk about this one because I don't know a whole lot about it. Sure. So Silver Spoon. Uh, full disclosure: I have not yet. Uh, watched or read this but this is a manga series and then an anime series uh, by Hiromu Arakawa who did Full Metal Alchemist for all my Alchemist fans out there so this is yeah totally (laughs) so this uh, this story is about a high school student who decides to enroll in an agriculture based high school in Japan. It's a coming of age story and he's kind of getting away from it all and the pressures of modern life. And he's like, I'll just go live on a farm. It's super easy. And then he's <laughs> like, it's not super easy. Um, so it's a lot of him, as I understand, just learning life lessons through agriculture. He gets to experience um, the realities of living on a farm, like getting to know the animals and going through the whole process of raising them. And then um, the, the harvesting or butchering process for them. He like gets a fondness for the little runt from the pig family. I don't know how that, how that ends. <laughs> um, but that's certainly something that he reconciles with. So it's good for, uh, or I presume that it is good for kind of connecting people to how food is actually made and harvested and gets from farm to table Um, as well as just like the realities of how difficult it is to actually farm things. Uh, But I don't know a lot about it. So we decided to just put it as an honorable mention. (laughs) Yeah, maybe in the future, we can do a full episode on it. uh, Once we have, you know, more knowledge on it. Um, That's definitely one I'm gonna have to watch because like we were talking about before the episode, it combines two of my favorite things. Um, You know, the creators of Full Metal Alchemist, which are, which is my favorite anime of all time. And then obviously agriculture, especially agricultural education. So that's going to be a, it's going to be a good one for me to to check out. For sure. Me too. (laughs) Awesome. So yeah, we'll we'll have to, we'll have to follow back up with that one in in a future episode. Um, But yeah, and then our last honorable mention, which might come up again later, kind of sees how the episode goes, is uh, Pokemon. So Pokemon is one that I wanted to kind of stick in here because um, I've talked about it briefly in other episodes, but I want it to be a full episode. So that's 
why it's an honorable mention because we'll talk about it in depth later but um in pokemon there's a couple of different forms of farming that we see um obviously you have uh berry farming you know in, in every game there's some form of berry farming that way you can farm uh, crops that you can use to feed your pokemon make them stronger and all that kind of stuff um and then you know there's obviously uh farming in, in a different sense which is um breeding so in in pokemon there's a lot of competitive breeding which is used to create pokemon that are ideal for uh tournaments and like competitive online competitions and that sort of thing um and it's something that I want to do a full episode on because it relates very strongly to how we breed for livestock in the real world. Um, a lot of livestock are bred based off of uh, stats that they have that are based off of how they're born. Um, so they're called EPDs, you know, or expected progeny differences. And I'll go into this in, in, in length in another episode. But basically, they're, they're invisible stats that aren't determined until later, you know, after they've grown up for, for a little while. And those stats determine how good they'll be at breeding to get a stronger uh, progeny or child and so pokemon we do that all the time i mean we're constantly breeding you know the strongest pokemon with this with another strong pokemon to get a you know even stronger pokemon that we can use in competitions later on so kind of to me that that relates quite a bit to a bit more of the commercial side of things in terms of how we choose genetics for future you know generations of of you know of a particular operation Sure, sure. Yeah, I I backed the Digimon horse back in the day, <laughs> so I kind of missed a lot of Pokemon stuff, but uh, that's very cool. I like it. Yeah, so that'll be its own thing way in the future. I just kind of wanted to bring that up since we're talking about this and we're talking about the accuracy of agriculture in different games, so I thought that would be kind of a cool one. For sure. So I think that kind of wraps up our honorable mentions, and I think we can hop into the main event if you're ready. I am so ready. Let's go. <laughs> awesome. So the first kind of mini category we're going to talk about here is the organic slash small farm garden, whatever you want to call it, uh, kind of operations that we're seeing in different media. So um, the first one on our list for this category is is one that I'm not super familiar with. So I'm going to let you take the reins with it's uh, Lord of the Rings or like the Hobbit, that general universe. Yeah. So Lord of the Rings uh, and The Hobbit ties pretty well into organic and small farm, primarily through the Shire. Uh, obviously, the other like main people groups uh, have their own forms of farming. I'm not really sure how the dwarves farm, because as I understand, they primarily just live underground. <laughs> and, and so I don't know if they've got mushrooms or something, you know, that's like better suited to that environment. They don't really talk about it uh elves they don't really talk about it either they're just kind of like oh we're good at everything so <laughs> presumably i don't know if they just go harvest and take care of the forest around them well enough that they don't really need to farm on top of that unclear but the shire is where it's at for farming um gondor and rohan which is the two human kingdoms also probably just do small farm they seem to be in more of a maybe like a step environment uh the orcs we don't know we have no idea how they eat they seem pretty uh carnivorous so maybe they just don't maybe they just don't eat vegetables and fruits <laughs> i don't know it's it's also unclear mm. um but the shire they have the hobbits themselves are super into farming uh it's definitely more on an organic scale there's not really any mention of you know chemical fertilizers of any kind um but gardening is super important to them to the point that samwise who is uh i'm just gonna claim it the best character um <laughs> Ooh, he's gonna he, draw some heavy it, fire yeah well we'll see i feel like it's not that like 
it's not that hot of a take. It's okay. pretty well understand it understood that he's he's pretty high up there. Um if not the the top. But he's a gardener. So uh when he first actually gets drawn into the adventure, it's cuz he's like, "Oh, I I wasn't dropping any eaves. I was just uh, trimming these plants by the window <laughs> while you happen to be talking about your secret mission." Um, so he's a gardener, uh, brings that vibe uh, into into the story. There's a scene in the movie uh, where they're they're about to leave the Shire and they're in a cornfield. And he's like, oh, this is if I take another step, it'll be the farthest from home I've ever been. That's kind of an iconic scene. Uh, so, yeah, there's that Mary and Pippin, two other hobbits that come with them are known for stealing, uh, from a local farmer. They just like go in and get carrots and cabbages and things. So it's pretty integral to, to their, uh, life. There's also some biodiversity going on. As far as I can tell, they've got, it seems from, from what I remember that they're, they're pretty good with like pollinators and just everything kind of cohesively coming together i it's unclear to me if they do any kind of you know bee and honey type thing but i i'm sure if i were to go back and look through all the foods they describe there's probably something in there uh they make alcohol so that's certainly a, a factor um unclear what kind of what kind of <laughs> grain or you know, they've got some kind of honey thing going on there, but yeah, it's super important to them. So it's not super important for the plot necessarily, but it's definitely, it's definitely set forth as part of the idyllic world in which they live in their sheltered little corner is like an ideal world involves explicitly farming and gardening, uh, which is, which is fair and true. So yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, that seems to be the general uh, vibe you get from a lot of, you know, smaller or, or and organic farms anyways, you know, they're kind of, you know, they like to, to do their own thing, you know, that's, that's like their whole world is their organic farm. And, you know, they take, you know, take a lot of pride in it. They, they like to, to serve their community and help others with their farm usually. And so I think that that's a good example of, of that kind of operation or that kind of general lifestyle that we see. I mean, it seems to, from, from how you described it, it seems to pretty perfectly mirror, you know, kind of what we see from, from that, from those types of people in our own world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's very nice. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, you know, the comments are going to, are going to be, you know, shooting me for this one, but I actually had not seen any of the Lord of the Rings or Hobbit movies. Um, they're on my list. They have been forever. Obviously I'm a bit more caught up, caught up in some other fandoms, you know, Star Wars and Harry Potter and all that kind of stuff. They, they have kind of all of my attention right now. So, um, I will eventually get there. Um, I, I kind of, I made a promise to a lot of people that I would, so maybe in the future we'll have a, a bit more of a follow-up episode on that, but, um, yeah. So sure. thanks. Yeah. Thanks for, uh, thanks for that one. Of course. Um, I think next up on on the list of like the organic, you know, small farm is is a, a couple of video games that, you know, I hold near and dear to my heart. I, I believe you do as well, just from, you know, years of growing up playing these games. Um, but we have Harvest Moon or Stardew Valley. You know, they're not the same game, but they're very similar in how they're played. And the general idea of, of the game is very similar. Um, and yeah, they, they have that that similar kind of small, you know, still kind of like the family farm feel. And, and so that that'll kind of cross over into our next, next category as well. Um, but do, did you want to talk a little bit about harvest moon? 
Sure. Yeah. I haven't played Stardew Valley. I've heard excellent things about it, um, but I, I grew up playing Harvest Moon on my Nintendo 64. I still mm. I still have it. Um, but yeah, the, the basis of Harvest Moon is you are, are a new farmer, whether you're returning to take over a family farm or just decided to become a farmer, and you join a small village of people there's a lot of different options for people that you can marry, which was like a huge straw for me. <laughs> it's like, I want to make friends with these people. Uh, and then you just engage in a variety of different tasks that are related to being a farmer. So uh, there, I remember there are days where there's like severe weather and you just can't go do your work. So that's like an aspect you do planting different crops and the crops that are available change according to season. And you kind of have to measure, you know, how much profit will I get out of this? Do I have time to do a second harvest or will I run out? Uh, Cause like when the season change, everything just dies, which is <laughs> not accurate, uh, yeah. but it does kind of help with like certain crops are cheaper or less profitable and things like that. And you can also have animals. So uh, in the older ones, it's mostly like ducks, chickens, cows, sheep. And then you get a horse that you can like do little horse races at the small town festivals and things like that. Um, and then I think some of them got like more absurd as time went on. Like, I think one of them, you can do like an ostrich farm and ride that oh. if you want. You can ride your goat in the horse race at some <laughs> point. Um, so that's a little silly, but yeah. And then um, there's also a lot of foraging. So you have to go uh, cut down wood if you want to build a new chicken coop or expand it. You might go collect berries in the winter to supplement your food. You have to store up hay and things in the summer so that you can, you know, when you can't cut it yourself, things like that. You can make uh, like mayonnaise and butter and different things from your animal products. You can sell the animals. You can breed the animals. Um, they get sick. So it's, it's unclear to me, like what the medicine is. So that might like exclude that animal from organic later down the <laughs> line, depending on what's in your medicine. Um, but there's things like that. You can upgrade your tools over time to help them, you know, like you water different little plots and there's like one plant per plot. So, you know, as your tools get better, you can water like three or nine plots as opposed to one, things like that. Um, so yeah, that's kind of an overview of the game at large. It covers obviously a lot of the different aspects of farming from, you know, crops to animal care, you know, how to supplement and earn money and work within your community to, uh, do do well there is also fertilizer that you can buy so that's unclear if that's organic <laughs> either um but maybe you can just give them the benefit of the doubt <laughs> i don't know it's unclear yeah no it definitely seems like harvest moon has i mean i i played harvest moon growing up but it's been a while so i'm, I'm a little rusty on it but it's very similar to stardew valley it's actually a little bit more intricate than stardew valley but it gives a very good uh image of what agriculture looks like on a very small scale um then obviously you could have a, a pretty decent sized farm for one person but it's still you know not quite as large as like what we consider like a commercial farm today um but it still has a lot of intricacy in terms of like the practices and and some of the stuff that you can do with you know the animals and the community and all that kind of stuff and there's a reason i like bringing up this one and, and stardew valley quite a bit in, in my episodes is because it gives people who don't come from ag background such a like strong 
not like accurate necessarily awareness of agriculture, but a, a pretty good handle on how agriculture generally works. I mean, the idea of, you know, not being able to run your operation if the if the weather conditions aren't good enough or if your animals are sick or if you're you're sick or you're like your family is sick. Um, you know, there's a lot of parts of that that are really important to, to understand from the consumer point of view, um, which I think is really good. Uh, Surrey Valley does a good job of that, too. I mean, Surrey Valley is kind of like the, the prime example of what I always refer to when it comes to explaining like the innovations in agriculture, uh, because I don't remember if this is part of Harvest Moon or not, but in Surrey Valley, um, obviously you have your farm and your crops that you have to water every day and you have your plants, you have to, or plants, your animals get to feed every day and that kind of stuff. Um, but you can automate your farm as you go. So you can build sprinklers that water your crops and you can upgrade your sprinklers. So that way they cover more ground and you can automate your feeders. That way you don't have to feed your animals every day. You can automate your milking machine. So you can come collect your milk at the end of the day. Um, and then you can process all of your goods that you make or, or that you collect and then you can make them into like cheese and mayonnaise and like all these different products and sell those products for more than what you got for the raw product. So there's like a little economy processing based, you know, part of the game too. I don't remember if that's in Harvest Moon or not. Not that I can remember. So, some of it is in that you can you can make like the egg, uh, the mayonnaise and the butter and cheese and things like that. There's also different um, grades of of those products. Hmm. So if you have enough, which is a little, a little inaccurate. Cause it, um, I know for the crops, it's like, Oh, it has to be fertilized. Like however many times to increase the, <laughs> the quality of the product, which is not like a one-to-one -one comparison with real farming, but there is something to be said for like the animals. Like you can build relationships with them over time by like brushing them and letting them outside and things, picking them up like the chickens oh, like yeah. to be picked up and put down. So then they do make better products when the anim animals are like happier and healthier. Um, so that's part of it. You don't really automate it. You just get like you make the same tool out of different materials to make it better. So you start off with just like a iron axe or hammer or whatever. And then eventually you're like, oh, now I have a gold fishing rod, which <laughs> is better for some reason, or a golden watering can is therefore uh, better. So that's, it's not necessarily trading out for different kinds of tech, but it is, it does upgrade it and make it easier for you. Um, and you can like put extra food in your barn so that if it like snows the next day, your animals won't starve and get sick. Um, so sort of, but maybe not as accurately as Stardew Valley. Gotcha. Okay. Which I mean, Stardew Valley is by no means perfectly accurate either. I mean, you have a lot of very strange happenings on Stardew Valley that don't quite line up with with modern agriculture, but there is a lot of a lot of crossover in terms of like the like I said the technological advancement. Um, there is that aspect of you know there's quality grades in Stardew Valley as well. So like you have to talk to your you don't get to like pet them or or pick them up, but you can talk to your animals every day. And, and the more you talk to them, the the higher quality their product tends to get which does relate to real life. We have noticed that, you know, as animals get healthier and happier, they tend to produce better products. Um, and the same goes for the crops. You know, as long as the crops are well taken care of and they use the right fertilizer, then they tend to, to grow to, to have healthier products. Now, the number of times you fertilize isn't necessarily related to that, but it tends, tends to be like the quality of the fertilizer and the quality of the soil and all that kind of stuff that influences that. Um, I'm still waiting on a game that depends on you actually taking care of the soil. I think that'd be a really cool thing for them to incorporate, but I'm not holding my breath on that. I'm not sure that's something that's really going to be explored a whole lot anytime soon. 
Yeah, that would be great. Yeah, because it's not like you could just keep adding more and more fertilizer and it will just infinitely work. Um, so that would be nice. <laughs> yeah, no, we definitely that's the that's the accuracy update that we need. We need some kind of like gauge of like, oh, you over fertilize your soil and now it's just gonna kill all of your crops because it's oh, it's no. too acidic. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> Soil uh, testing. That's what yes. we need. Yes. There you go. And then if you have like a nitrogen deficiency, you have to go buy fertilizer for that or whatever. Um, go. but yeah, that'd be cool. Uh, so yeah, so that kind of covers those. I mean, the, the reason that those ones are so cool is because they really tie into obviously the farming part of it, but more of like the general agricultural, uh, lifestyle because you have the whole community aspect of it. Obviously, like you said, you can get married in the game. You can have kids, you can have, I know at least in Stardew Valley, in Stardew Valley, you can hire em employees to help you on the farm um you you know you have to like get your own resources to build new things and you have to build relationships with people and they'll build you things and help you build you know parts of your of your um operation and stuff so that one really ties into more than just the farming but it ties into the entire lifestyle that is agriculture which i think is pretty cool for sure yeah so next up and kind of the last one in our organic small farming gardening whatever you want to call it list um, again, also kind of ties into the family farming thing because of that same community aspect of it is Animal Crossing. And I'm sure many of our listeners here have probably played or at least heard of the new Animal Crossing that's been all the rage since, you know, since the early quarantine times. It's uh, the one thing that kept everybody sane during during that time, it seems. Um, but yeah, Animal Crossing is a really fun one. Uh, I know you mentioned you haven't played the newest one, but did you grow up playing the other Animal Crossings? I did play some of the ones when I was younger. Um, I remember I had one on GameCube that I that I liked a lot. Um, yeah, I haven't played the new one because I just know that I was like, I have too many other things to get done <laughs> that will for sure not get done if I get Animal Crossing. So I like just preemptively saved myself hours and hours of binging time on Animal Crossing. Uh, but I, I'm a big fan of the series at large. I like it a lot. Um, and I know that they have flower uh, growing and crossbreeding in the new one. So, and like charts for it and stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. The new one, I, I haven't gotten far enough into it to really do a whole lot of crossbreeding with flowers. That kind of wasn't my big priority, but I have seen a lot of videos on people doing that kind of stuff. And I've heard of like my friends that are playing, they, they do all that kind of stuff. And it is a cool idea. Um, they have like a whole like science to how they do it. I'm not quite sure how it works, but I know that placing certain colored flowers next to each other uh, causes some kind of cross-pollination and then a new flower of a different color will, will appear next to it. Um, that's actually the only way to get certain colors of flowers. So if you want like black flowers, you have to cross certain flowers after a while. And then like, there's like a small chance that it'll appear to be black. There's like all kinds of like crossbreeding, like math that goes into it. It's, it's kind of impressively intricate for animal crossing, you know, a game that's all about talking to humanist or humanist uh, human like animals and and you know chopping down trees and you know talking to a, a raccoon that, that you owe money to every five seconds <laughs> right um, it's you know they, they actually incorporated something that's kind of skill-based or or at least you know has, has requires a certain level of knowledge as opposed to just a relaxing play style that most animal crossing games come with yeah they also they also have like regional crops because as right. i understand each island has a specific fruit that they are that they have trees for um so you have to like trade with friends if you want other kinds of fruit or buy them from nooks 
store or something. <laughs> so right, yeah, I know in the new one you're able to go to other islands, like not necessarily other like players' islands. But you can go to just random islands, and that's how you find a lot of the the other crops or the other like fruits and stuff that you don't have access to on your island. Um, but yeah, trading with friends is still a big part of it. That's something that's never going to go away because they want to incorporate, uh, you know, being able to, to communicate with your friends and work with them and all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, no, that's, that's a really good point. It's funny. That was actually another thing that was going to tie into Pokemon is regional variants, um, you know, because in, in Pokemon, that's a big thing too, is, you know, each region has like a regional version of the other region's Pokemon. So it's kind of like a natural adaptation kind of thing. Um, sure. But that, you know, Back to Animal Crossing, that's something that, you know, is is a cool aspect of it because it incorporates the, you know, another big essential part of agriculture, which is, you know, trade and resource scarce, scarcity and, you know, being able to to use resources properly when you have them and all that kind of stuff. Because I know that at least when I was younger, I used to, you know, borrow oranges from my sister's uh, island and then I'd accidentally cut down my last orange tree and I'd run out of oranges until I could get her to play again and I could steal some more for, from her, but sure um, <laughs> sure they need so. like crap wild relatives <laughs> yes. like really really niche down on that <laughs> like That'd this is great. my like drought resistant pear tree <laughs> this yes. one has disease resistance now we need to like bring them together to create the ultimate pear tree that would be great i, I would graft them in <laughs> <laughs> yeah can you just send me a branch of your apple tree please <laughs> not yeah. the apple i just want the branch yeah I, I just need a cutting that that's all it takes you know but that, that'd be that'd be awesome i love there that nintendo you heard it here first <laughs> hey if they if they come up with an animal crossing that has you know propagation involved then you, you know where to find us yeah we'll split the check it's yes. fine <laughs> yes I, I, that'd be perfect uh, i love it <laughs> no that so going off of that you know going into the more i mean still family farming, but starting to dip into the commercial aspect of things a little bit. Um, a game that I actually just did an episode on uh, at the end of last season, which was Minecraft, actually does get into a little bit more of the intricacies in that regard, um, especially with mods and that kind of stuff. But, you know, there's not necessarily as much crossbreeding, I guess you could say, as there is, uh, I don't even know what you'd call it necessarily. They're still trading for certain crops. There's still, you know, like the, the resource scarcity involved. Uh, there's still the automation, you know, of, of agriculture because you can create massive machines that farm for you. Um, but I, I know that there's like agricultural mods that allow you to crossbreed crops and get stronger crops that are more resistant to certain pests and certain, you know, weather conditions, all that kind of stuff. But that's not in the, like the vanilla game. In the vanilla game, it's mostly just you know, plant a seed, put it next to water, and you'll have corn or you'll have wheat in like three days, you know, um, which isn't accurate as as we know. You know, it takes a little, little bit longer than that. And a little bit more right. than, than just, you know, can you plant a seed and put it next to water? Um, but yeah, it's I, I like Minecraft's example because it gives, you know, with Minecraft being one of the most popular video games of all time, it gives a good handle on the idea of agriculture is essential to be able to survive kind of, you know, mentality. Um, it, it kind of, the reason I brought it up last season is it kind of, it follows this whole like branch that I was going off of, off of like, agriculture is fundamental to society and in every minecraft world the first thing anyone makes is a farm before they make their house sure so, sure and i don't know what experience you have with minecraft necessarily that's one that almost probably could have been an honorable mention yeah i mean i i played it once with my nephew <laughs> and was so terrible <laughs> because i could not navigate the menu i didn't understand like putting the resources to like make the shape that you're creating 
to make an axe, he had to like pause his game to walk me through it. <laughs> so I didn't know I could just like hold the like axe buttons. So I mm. kept accidentally restarting on trying to cut down a tree. So <laughs> I am very limited experience. I'm aware of it. I know there's weird animals in it. Like I think there isn't there like a cow that has like flowers on it. Is that a oh, thing? Oh yeah, the mushroom it has mushrooms on it. Yeah, so I know that there's <laughs> weird things like that, um, which are also wildly inaccurate to real farming, but would of be course. very cool. Yes. <laughs> Although, to be fair, I mean, you can use animal products to, like, help encourage your, your crops with, you know, some people send the animals out to graze their fields or fertilizers and things like that. So maybe they're just taking a different approach <laughs> to the same concept. Sure. Yeah. And I, that you do see that a little bit in Minecraft as well. Actually, with the newer update, they have uh, bees involved, which I, in my Minecraft world, I have like a massive bee farm. I love bees. And so I, I put them next to my crops and whenever they are like getting ready to, to collect their honey, they go and actually pollinate my crops for me and help them grow. And then they'll come back and create their honey, which obviously it's not that cut, and, you know, cut, cut and dry. Cause I have my my uh, carrots and my potatoes and my wheat all in the same field and they you know go in there and pollinate everything and nothing gets cross-pollinated there's no kind of like genetic diversity so that's not quite not quite accurate but you know the, the idea is there you know they, they put the yeah. effort in they're, they're getting there <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's hopefully in a few more updates we actually have some cross-pollination involved but that'd be that'd be a, a little bit down the road sure. um but yeah, so that, that's really cool that they have that. They actually do have a little bit more intricacy in the crossbreeding of animals. You can actually cross a horse and a donkey and get a mule, which I think is kind of cool. Um, I needed to check. I actually am not sure about this. I don't know if they made it so mules can actually breed or not, because in real life, obviously, mules are not supposed to be able to breed because they you cross uh, the same genus, but a different species. So the, the offspring obviously is going to be um, infertile. Sure. But I don't know if they incorporated that into Minecraft. They really should have. I hope they did. But um, yeah, so I think that's kind of cool. They have some of that. Now, obviously, you have some inaccuracies, of course, because, you know, it is a video game for children. But, um, you know, you have like sheep that, you know, you you shear them and then like they just eat some grass and all their wool grows back immediately, which is sure. obviously not how that works. Or um, like you mentioned, the the mushrooms, you know, that by themselves are anatomically, anatom <clears throat> anatomically incorrect. But if you just shear the mushrooms off of them, they become regular cows again, which even if they were real, that's not how they would work. Um, sure. <laughs> but it's, you know, it's all in good fun. <clears throat> so transitioning to the larger side of things, you know, the commercial, the industry, the worldwide level of agriculture, uh, Minecraft does a pretty good job of that too, because, you know, like I mentioned, it is fundamental to build a society. You need agriculture of some sort. So Minecraft kind of demonstrates that. I mean, the only societies we see in the game are villages that all start with farms and they all have farmers as part of their villages. So it kind of reinforces that idea. But transitioning into kind of the larger scale agricultural examples we see in media, we have things like Farming Simulator, which I don't know what your experience is with, with Farming Simulator. Uh, I have not played Farming <clears throat> Simulator. I've played the other two that we have on our list, or one of the other two that we've had on our list, but uh, not Farming Simulator. I'm not familiar with that one at all. Okay. So uh, I'll just go over it very briefly just because I personally haven't played it either but my dad plays it literally every day i mean like that's like his favorite game of all time so um it's it's very i mean it's exactly how it sounds it's just a simulator for farming um it's not very accurate i mean it's probably the most accurate on our list you know it's you know very much like you have you know acres and acres of fields that you can do whatever you want with there's you know 
blights that can take your crops out. There are certain weather conditions that can, you know, that can make farming difficult. You have seasons that you have to correspond with, which kind of goes back to the harvest moon and Stardew Valley thing. Um, you have economies that you have to keep up with. There are markets for all the different crops that you can grow, um, which sounds pretty accurate because you use like, you know, you use real farm equipment. That's like, you know, you have like an actual Kubota tractor and you have like a new harvest, you know, like there's all, or um, not new harvest, new Holland, you know, harvester and that kind of stuff. Um, but there's all kinds of like actual like real ties to, to modern agriculture. Um, the inaccuracies kind of start to come out when you have uh, like just like the lack of genetic diversity in what crops you can grow and in what animals you can raise and that kind of stuff. Um, like for because it's, it's a European based game. So like a lot of their breeds and like, you know, the crops that they use are very European based uh, species. So they don't have like, you know, the kind of stuff that I'd be growing here in California or they don't have, you know, the, the breeds that we'd be using here in the United States, they have like, you know, Ayrshires for their cows, or they have, you know, like weird pig breeds and weird sheep breeds. And, you know, they, they, you have like, you know, cotton and soybeans and, and corn that you can grow, but they have like other crops that we don't really grow as much here. And so kind of, you know, a bit of like regional diversity is, is definitely present in the game. But other than that, the actual game itself is pretty accurate to how agriculture typically works. Cool. Yeah. So that's a pretty fun one just because it kind of brings in the whole market aspect of it, which I think is kind of interesting. Sure. Um, but that can kind of tie into uh, the game that you have played, which is Farmville. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll let you take the reins on this one because I've been talking for a while. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Farmville. Uh, people will probably remember this one from like early, early ish Facebook days um, <laughs> where they had just games you could play. Um, there's, there's games that are very similar to this, like um, in, in different ways, but it's basically you plant crops and then it's like, oh, uh, you know, grapes will be done in four hours or two hours. <laughs> and this one, it'll take longer. It'll be ready in 12 hours. And then you just like click to harvest and ship it all off. And you're just trying to grow your farm. Um, there's other games that are similar to this. There's like a chicken one. I think that's really popular where you just like Mm -hmm. tap your barn to make more chickens. (laughs) (laughs) You just keep tapping and make like infinite chickens and then, or as many as you can have until you need to build a new barn. And, um, so these ones are kind of more looking at the, um, definitely on the commercial side with trying to get as many crops as you can shipped out to people, um, fairly inaccurate in that it's basically just like buy seed and plant it and then it's ready within hours um so that they're not accurate it's more just like a vibe and then a way to just spend time there's probably i would i don't know if there are like in-game purchases i feel like there probably are um i'm sure there's ones in that category that offer that um but yeah it's just kind of a way to casually in your free time farm i guess (laughs) (laughs) yeah and that's you know i i personally didn't play farmville a whole lot um i didn't get into like those facebook games until a little bit later on uh but i did play heyday which is pretty much pretty much the same thing you know it's a very similar you know idea it's just like a i think heyday is probably just like the mobile version of farmville i don't know if farmville is on mobile or not i have no Um, idea okay so yeah heyday is is the mobile version where it's basically just you, know, you you log in every, every day and you can like harvest your your wheat or your you know your milk or whatever and you can like make like cookies with it you can make bread with it you can make butter and you can sell that to market um you can like sell resources out like you have like a little stand on the side of your farm where you could sell stuff and like other players can come and buy your stuff if they need your stuff for some reason 
and then you know you can go to other player stuff and buy their stuff um so it's like kind of like a similar idea where it's just like a small farm you know you can kind of just like there's no like resource scarcity it's not like you have you know water that you have to worry about or you have to like fertilize your crops or anything it's literally just you know you plant your seeds you wait a few hours come back harvest your crop sell them at the market you know and repeat the process and as you get you know as you get to a higher level you can build newer equipment or you can build um, or you can like expand your farm and get more acreage that you could use to grow different crops or you know so it's kind of like that similar idea of it's just like is it accurate no not really but sure. is it fun and does it get ex people exposed to agriculture sure i mean you can make an argument for that yeah i like the idea of having like the farm stand and being able to like trade and share amongst farmers. I don't know if real farmers do that much beyond just like, Hey, can I borrow this, whatever tool or whatever, but yeah. I know harvest moon doesn't really have that. It's just kind of, you just put whatever you want in a box <laughs> and then it automatically ships and sells for the same price year round yeah. <laughs> regardless. Um, yeah. so that's kind of a neat aspect. Um, I think animal crossing has like some of that where people will be like, Hey, can you give me this thing that I like? <laughs> <laughs> but they don't they don't really pay you they just because your friends they're like hey please give me this <laughs> right yeah so there's, there's a little bit, there's a little bit more extortment out of the animal crossing <laughs> side of things <laughs> but um no heyday has I, I think heyday has a pretty cool system because uh, you get to set your own price too it's not like it's like there's like a set price for whatever crop it is you can put it in the market and say you know what i want you know 20 bucks for for this bunch of, of wheat and people will come by and pay it and you know if they need it they, they can use it to feed their cows or whatever and then you can go to somebody else and buy. I mean, there are, as far as I know, I believe there's actually people who will go to other people's stands, buy a crop for cheap and then sell it for more. And then just sure. basically just sit there and just flip crops all day instead of having to grow their own stuff. Um, sure. which, I mean, not going to say that's, that's inaccurate because I'm sure that's, that's happening to some degree, you know, I mean, technically on, on the retail side of things that that's almost exactly what happens. I mean, you know, they're taking the raw product from somebody else and then just turning around for a profit so sure makes sense yeah actually i think animal crossing does let you sell things but it's to other players like your your villagers or whatever just ask yes. you for things which they'll give you stuff in return i yes not, not that these <laughs> villagers are real and need me to defend their like moral <laughs> choices or character in any way but mm. i think that they'll, they'll be like cool thanks here's like a shirt right for, yeah it's like handful of cherries <laughs> Um, but I think you can sell things to other to other players in Animal Crossing. So like if you have an island that has pears and they don't, they can buy pears from you or something like that. So right. there is that. Yeah, no, there, there is like some some level of a mini economy there. Sure. So speaking of, of, of economies, that kind of goes into another one that almost could have been an honorable mention. But, you know, I feel like we had a, a bit of enough there to mm -hmm. talk about, uh, which is Divergent. And I also threw in Hunger Games because they're like, almost the same thing i mean people are gonna hate me for that one but i really don't care <laughs> there, there's definitely some strong similarities there um yeah so hunger games a lot of people are probably familiar with this one it was extremely popular as a as a book series and then movie series um 12 different regions i think in there was basic... a secret 13th but yes there is oh there's... yes you're right you're right i forgot about that um sorry <laughs> but uh yeah so there's uh 12 to 13 <laughs> different regions uh within basically dystopian america and they all are good at one thing um so some of them are really good at 
uh, I'm just throwing out examples. Please don't come at me. <laughs> These are not <laughs> accurate examples. But some of them are like, oh, we're really good at like just making uh, these champion children's uh, children's children uh, that can be tributes or we're really good at like fashion and entertainment. Um, mm-hmm. And then uh, Katniss Everdeen, she's the main person and they're just kind of from like the poor district. I don't remember what they do. Um, I believe the thing is Cole. Cole, that's right. That's right. Uh, yeah, so they all they all do a specific one. So presumably there's a farming one. I don't think they spend a lot of time talking about it. I think one of the, maybe one of the tributes that she, oh, sorry. Skipping back. So there's 12 districts and then every however many years uh, they have to send children that fight each other to death uh, to like appease their overlords, basically, um, because of their previous rebellion. So I think Katniss meets somebody maybe or a couple people like from the farming ones and they're like, we don't really want to be here and kill people and the overlord people are like too bad. <laughs> so uh, it, it doesn't come up a lot, uh, the farming itself. And then Divergent is very similar. It's post-apocalyptic. It's set in Chicago, actually. Hmm. Um, so, oh, Hunger Games is by Suzanne Collins, by the way. A Divergent is by Veronica Roth. Uh, and they basically have five groups, um, factions, and they each value like one specific thing. So um, Dauntless values courage and bravery. Uh, Candor values honesty. Erudite values intelligence. Uh, abnegation, I think, uh, values like service and humility. Um, and then Amity is the last one. And they're like the friendly people as far as <laughs> i understand yeah they're the hufflepuffs <laughs> and the hufflepuffs are like yeah we can farm so <laughs> they're kind of put in this as i remember i read the book years ago i saw the movie years ago i didn't pursue the whole series so sorry if i'm like offending anybody in the fandom but as far as i understand like the amity people are kind of just like these hippie portrayed people that just like to sing songs and hang out and farm so um Again, uh, at least as far as I got into it, I didn't see a lot of the actual um, farming take place. But what is interesting about both of these is that the farming is kind of segmented out from the rest of society. So we see parallels with that today where a lot of people are like, oh, food just comes from the grocery store or you know, it, they're not really involved with actually making or preparing the food that they eat. Um, aside from like, you know, throwing it in a microwave or cooking it once they actually get it. Um, so that's kind of interesting just to see those. Um, and I'm not sure how food is distributed. I mean, and certainly that's not to say at least in hunger games that they like are completely reliant on that section um because i know katniss is a really good hunter that's why she's so good with the bow and arrow although i think it's like illegal for her to hunt (laughs) or at least where she does hunt is illegal or something like that Mm -hmm. um but it is interesting in that it's just kind of segmented out um and like only certain groups of people do it which is different than the shire for example where everybody might have their own little home garden um and then be supplemented by the farmer or whatever so yeah no i think there's definitely a strong case to be made that there's a you know an obvious message about the idea that agriculture is very disconnected from the rest of society obviously you have like the 
at least so i i'm very unaware of divergent i didn't i never read the books or watched the movies or any, any of that kind of stuff like i kind of generally got the idea from friends of mine but um i was more of a hunger games kid so sure um but it, it seems like in, in both you kind of have this idea that you have like the higher ups you know like your whether it be the government or, or just like the upper class or whatever it is that are kind of like controlling everything and then you have like the the lower class people that are trying to trying to revolt or trying to you know bring some kind of change about and in both you know in both of those situations it seems like agriculture is at least you know tangentially you know important to the plot but not expressed very heavily you know they're kind of separated from from the equation despite being incredibly important to the survival of the society um which seems pretty accurate to real life it's something that you know we're, we're seeing quite a bit is agriculture is kind of disconnected from everything else even though it's the one feeling everything else um so we kind of you know could could draw away from that the idea that we kind of need to have a little bit more of a focus on that idea that you know people should be paying attention to where their food's coming from and what's fueling them the whole time and what's kind of keeping them going without you know ignoring the districts quote unquote that are taking care of all of that kind of stuff sure yeah it's it's interesting i don't remember if divergent is necessarily has like a like a president snow type character uh mm. in it or not it they actually get to choose where they go mm. uh they have like a ceremony when they're 16 or something like that uh where they get to choose so like of course the main character chooses the courage group of course <laughs> uh, so that's you know she doesn't choose the farming group <laughs> that'd be a very different story um but yeah so it is definitely segmented out and it's interesting because they i mean all of the districts like need each other um, but then they're kind of pitted against each other specifically to keep them from like creating a cohesive enough environment to rise up in Hunger Games. It's unclear to me uh, from what I remember if Divergent is the same or if they I mean, they do all need each other, but I can't remember like if they're uh, very oppositional to each other or not. I mean, uh, it might Games, just be like interest. Yeah. <laughs> In Hunger Games, the, the opposition is more so in like the 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 competition, obviously. You know, like mm -hmm. everyone's like out for blood in terms of like, you know, they're all gonna try to take each other's tributes out. Yeah. But if I remember correctly, like most of the districts seem to get along really well as long as they're not from like the higher up districts. Yeah, I think so. I that sounds right to me. But it's been forever since I read those, so I don't remember honestly. But anyways, <laughs> on, on a lighter note, you know, and unless you had anything else to add on to, to diversion to Hunger Games. No, I don't think so. I think that covers it pretty well. All right. On a lighter note, we had the B movie, which is pretty much <laughs> the opposite of Hunger Games and Diversion. Yes. Yes. Uh, it is not post-apocalyptic at all. <laughs> I mean, they do almost create an apocalypse because, you know, Barry gets a little too selfish. Um, but yeah, so the B movie, you know, is, is a um, Jerry, uh, Jerry Seinfeld's movie about, you know, a bee who becomes self-aware of, of his role in the, in the honey production industry. And he gets mad at humans and, and basically, you know, files a lawsuit against all of humanity for harvesting honey from bees that worked hard to produce it. Um, this, you know, creates this upset in the balance of nature. And you have like, you know, all these bees that are now, you know, uh, jobless because they can, they can no longer produce honey because they have too much of it. Um, and so it creates this massive schism between, you know, the agricultural community and the, and the regular, you know, the rest of society, because they don't have all the products that they would usually have that they would get from the bees, you know, all the flowers start dying, um, you know, floral shops are closing down, which is, you know, one of the main reasons why 
uh, Barry, the main character, decides to go back on what he did is because, you know, his his girlfriend or friend or whatever you want to call them, the, the human that he falls in love with, her flower shop has to shut down because he took away all their pollinators. Um, a very interesting, you know, storyline, very strange, very memeable. Everyone makes fun of the B-movie. Um, but it does have a, a somewhat decent message, which is, you know, we need to protect bees and we need to make sure that our our, our balance of taking care of, you know, the, the, the bees that are pollinating and producing honey and also taking care of the industry that is being fed by, by the bees is, you know, is all properly balanced out and not taking advantage of each other. Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember like anything from that movie except for thinking, <laughs> no, that's not true. I remember when he's walking through the intersection with his friend and he's like, don't you think sometimes things just work like too perfectly and it zooms out and like, it's, crazy traffic and they're just not getting hit by cars despite the fact that so many cars are speeding through the intersection so i remember that uh but other than that i remember almost nothing about it um but yeah i think like one inaccuracy is that it just excludes the idea that any other bee and or pollinator and or bat and or bird (laughs) would be useful in keeping those plants alive um we've talked about that on our show before is how you know, honeybees are are great and important and charismatic for sure, but they're not <laughs> the only bees that actually do the work. Um, and native bees and kind of solo bees do a ton for pollination, as as do other obviously um, insects and birds and bats and things like that. So they they I don't know if they just all had a. <laughs> Maybe there's a bat movie where they had a similar <laughs> thing that it all converged at the same time. I don't know, but <laughs> I mean, that's certainly not the only uh, accuracy criticism that could be made towards the movie. <laughs> I mean, so, you know, it's got it's got some flaws. It's uh, it's its own thing. For yeah, sure. I, I think that there are quite a few issues with the movie, um, you know, the whole uh uh, I can't remember what his what his friend's name is, but the one who who stings the guy and then has to have his stinger replaced with a, a plastic sword. Um, mm-hmm. yep. That's that's definitely problematic. I mean, the entire talking bee issue is problematic, right? Right. Um, but I mean, like looking looking past all of that, I mean the the lawsuit against all of humankind is a bit extreme. <laughs> it um, is. All of the bees lifting an airplane is a bit extreme. I mean, I I'm sure bees are strong, but I don't know if they can lift an airplane by themselves. Yeah. Um, there's, there's, there's some issues there, but you know, it, it's still a fun one to bring up. It, it kind of brings up an interesting point that a lot of people tend to not think about, which is the ramifications that come about not utilizing our natural resources for, you know, agricultural purposes. Um, cause there's always that conversation of like, well, we should, re- we, you know, we should revert everything back to natural landscape. Right. It's like, mm-hmm. well, because we've been doing this for so long, that's going to cause a lot of upset in the balance. You know, we're, we're mm-hmm. kind of getting this to a point where everything is pretty comfortable where it's at. And if we start to kind of revert things back to how they were, we're going to have a lot of, you know, things that are not going to function how they should. And they're probably going to end up dying because of it. Right. Um, you know, it's the whole argument that like, you know, all livestock should be let back into the wild. They've been domesticated for so long. If you let them back out into the wild, they're going to die immediately and probably very painfully. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just kind of how, you know, it's how that goes, you know, but it, it kind of, int- you know, introduces that idea of like upsetting the balance hurts more than just, you know, the humans. It hurts every industry, you know, it hurts every, mm-hmm. you know, which obviously you can make the argument like, yeah, there's, there's other pollinators out there that would, it would save everything. But um, yeah, there's the, the, I think the underlying point, which is 
beads are important, but you can't just take that one piece out of the puzzle and expect everything to, to function properly. Yeah. I think it's it's hard is in the right place. Right. I think that's a fair assessment is the heart is in the right place. It's obviously, you know, more complicated. But again, it's s- sort of a kid's movie. I think it's kind of unclear to me, like what the exact target audience is for that movie. Uh, yeah. But, you know, it's you're not going to be able to get into that complexity in a movie like that. It's, no, just can't, which is yeah. fine. I don't hold it against it in any way. No, I mean, some movies just exist to be entertaining and that's fine. I mean, not every movie has to have this deep underlying, you know, story or moral to it. It's just kind of a, a goofy movie. Sure. Well, it's not the goofy movie. That's a different movie. That's a great right. movie, but <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> um yeah so i mean b movie like that one was all, almost an honorable mention just because there really isn't a whole lot to say on it it's just jerry seinfeld talking to himself for a while um but yeah and then the last one on our commercial list and i'm gonna let you take the reins on this one because i know next to nothing about it besides seeing ads for it everywhere is dune yeah um yeah uh so dune I am currently reading. I've got a hundred pages left. I, I did my best, but I think I can still cover the the pertinent portions in here. So uh, Dune is, I want to say Frank Herbert. I don't have it in front of me, but I'm pretty sure that's the author. Um, internet people, please correct me if I said that wrong. Um, but it's his, his novel. Uh, it's like a space epic. It follows Paul Atreides. He's the son of a duke. He gets sent to... Um, this desert planet of Arrakis as part of political machinations about his family and basically joins a band of people who live in the desert. They're called the Fremen and uh, a lot of like political intrigue and different things like that occur. But the main thing to focus on here as far as agriculture is um the Fremen have this plan to turn Arrakis into this uh, kind of verdant paradise planet instead of a, a desert planet. So uh, I have been reading this book over the course of like a very long period of time because I kind of would take breaks in between sections. So I'm doing my best to remember here. But basically their plan appears to be um, like try to pin down the dunes in some way. I'm not exactly sure how they're intending to do that, but try to create some stability in the soil so that there isn't constant erosion and then add water. (laughs) Uh, So they have certain plants that they're starting to grow. I would assume that they're more along the lines of maybe, you know, scrub grasses, desert grasses, cactuses, that kind of thing. Um, And they're just trying to help those to live and slowly transform the planet over time. Uh, Early on, there's palm trees at the Atreides estate and um, the it's either the Duke or or Paul, his son, are like, isn't that super wasteful to like use enough water to help 50 people live or however many by just dumping it in on these palm trees? And they're like, no, no these symbolize the future of Arrakis. So it's very important that we use this water. So water is kind of the key resource in the book. Um, so it's interesting. Uh, the other the other key factor that a lot of people know from Dune is the giant sandworms. They're also called makers. Mm. Um, 
and they're they hold this kind of weird position in the in the Fremen society where it seems like it maybe overlaps a little bit with some of their like religion, but they also like ride them around. Um, and they're huge, like they're football field, you know, or larger potentially sized worms. So it's interesting because Frank Herbert, uh, like in his dedication to the book is like, yo, this is for my ecologists out there, like keep doing the good work. Um, so he was very interested in this aspect of it and like pieced together a lot of kind of the science of what it would take to do this. And then people are like, how do these worms survive? Like, how, what do they eat? There's nothing there to support the animals to, you know, that the worms could eat, um, you know, and the smaller animals that those animals would eat and, you know, so on and so forth. Um, so it's, you know, it's a, it's a science fiction novel. So you just kind of give it some grace there. So it's kind of interesting um, that people have had those conversations, but also I think it's interesting in that um, from what I haven't seen or from what I have seen so far, there isn't a, uh, the plan mostly just seems to be like stop erosion and add water, which is not enough <laughs> from my limited understanding of how you make soil um, and transform it into a different soil type. Um, so that's kind of interesting that they, it seems uh, at this point that they're kind of missing um, that organic matter component. There's not really any, uh, and probably some of the kind of microbiome elements that would be needed to convert those things to get the nutrients and the textures that you need. Um, and the worms are far too large to, to um, do the work that earthworms do. Uh, if they tried to help your garden, they would just immediately destroy it from their size. Um, but worms do play a really big, important part in um, soil formation and things like that. So it's it's uh, both accurate and inaccurate um, in, in different ways. So it's just an interesting one. And it's really popular because the movie just came out, which I adored. It was very good. Um, so, yeah. And the book is good. The book is good also. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Well, I mean that that it sounds like a very interesting concept. Obviously, it's been blown up everywhere. Everyone's all about Dune right or Dune right now, but I mm -hmm. haven't quite hopped on that train yet. I will eventually. Um, because it does sound very interesting. But no, that that's really cool. I mean, it almost you can almost make an argument that it's like, you know, part of the the interesting aspect of the story is like they have all the pieces that they need, but none of them fit quite right. Like you have like, mm -hmm. you know, the worms that could help, except they're too big. You have, mm -hmm. you know, the the soil and the water, but you don't have the, the microorganisms that you need to keep to make it work. You have, you know, it's like everything that that could potentially work out just isn't quite there yet. Um yeah. Which is kind of a cool idea. Um but no, yeah. that, that, I mean that sounds really interesting. I mean it sounds like I'd be, I'd be curious to see, and I'm sure this is what the entire, you know, with the entire movie and what the entire book is about, but you know, I'd be curious to see what their proposed solution is. I mean, my first thought would be, you know, could you use the worms fecal matter? Could you just kill one of the worms and use it as, as organic material? Is it not that simple? You know, what's the, what's, what's stopping that from happening? Um, and also like what, what other resources do they have in the area they could, could they, they could potentially use? Do they have, do they have any technology they could potentially convert you know, something into what they need or like, you know, I don't know, I guess I'm going to have to watch it or read the book. So, yeah. Um. Yeah. It's interesting because uh, one of the characters, Liette Kynes is like the planet's ecologist, like mm. the official there's, there's like an empire. And then Paul, the Atreides family is like one of their houses within the empire. And so a lot of 
a lot of what happens on the planet is based on just like the infighting and squabbling that's going on between uh, the Atreides and the Harkonnens um, who like owned the planet before them. And then there's this spice that is there, which is um, this material that, as I understand, like kind of helps you see the future a little bit, which is Mm -hmm. like how they were able to have space travel on like a large scale because they're like oh if we go this way we won't just like crash into a planet on the way or something like that I don't know um so the spice is like an element but but kinds is like oh we have everything we need like people say we don't have water we have water we just have to use it wisely Mm -hmm. um so they're at like very early stages of the process um, and they're kind of, as I understand, trying to do it a little bit on the down low because, you know, the the political parties are like, we don't want the Fremen to like have control or life that's not dependent on our mercy or we'll just kill them all because we don't like them. So there's definitely some complicating factors there. Um, but yeah, and then the spice in the worms has like some weird... Uh, relationship so I don't know that they would be like let's kill them to use them for organic matter because they use them for other things but I'm like only just starting to get into to those stages but yeah it's interesting it's 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 good huh all right well that sounds like it adds something else to my list I need to I need to go watch because that that can make an interesting episode actually yeah Hmm. interesting all right well I mean that that sounds pretty cool Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that kind of wraps up our, our list here. I don't know if you had any other medias that you want. I mean, there's still tons out there. I mean, don't get me wrong. There, there's plenty of movies, games, and shows that we definitely could touch on, but that's a pretty good list. I feel like at this point, unless you came up with any others you wanted to really, really talk about. Uh, I think we missed interstellar, <laughs> which is oh, a we did. really, right. really good one. You're right. Um, I completely forgot about that. Oh, no problem. Um, but yeah, if you don't mind, I'd love to chat about that one real quick. Yeah, go ahead. Because um, I think this is probably um, one of the more, in some ways, is one of the more accurate ones on our list. Um, and is certainly like one of the more pertinent ones. <laughs> so yeah. um, so Interstellar is a Christopher Nolan movie. Uh, it's got Matthew McConaughey in it as the, as the lead. And the premise of this one is essentially because of the way that farmers uh, did their breeding, they just kept, they kept losing genetic diversity in their plant breeding programs to the point that um, eventually there was just like some kind of pest or disease or whatever that just wiped out wheat. So wheat like doesn't exist anymore and uh, soybean doesn't exist anymore. (laughs) And they're basically down to corn. And so corn is like a hundred percent of their meals is just corn and corn based. Um, And just, and they're like, what happens if something comes for corn, you guys, we're all going to die. So they decide that they're going to send Matthew McConaughey and his team out to, um, to go explore through a wormhole these three different planets to see if one of them would be suitable to evacuate the Earth and take everybody there. Um, so a lot of the accuracies, as I understand, would come more from the science and physics side of the movie. Um, it gets a little timey-wimey at the end, but as I understand, um, I think it was maybe Christopher Nolan's brother 
had to take like super advanced physics classes to even write the movie. So they spent a lot of time there. Um, that's less pertinent for what we're talking about today, which is more to deal with the genetic diversity. Um, and this is not me like fear mongering and being like, we're <laughs> on the path, you guys. Um, because I think a lot of plant breeders have um, have and do recognize the importance for um, preserving genetic diversity. So that's where you get things like seed banks um, that are preserving all of these different varieties um, crop wild relatives are really important for that. So there's conservation efforts for those different land races. Um, so there's a lot of work that's being done to preserve genetic diversity and then bring it into plant breeding programs to improve things, um, like resistance to those different things. Um, like, you know, drought or disease pests, those kinds of things, salinity. Um, but it is kind of an interesting, like, what if thing, um, kind of in the same way that Gattaca was for like, you know, genetically changing humans. Uh, of just like a warning of like, we do have to be careful that we don't just keep merging these plant species and crossbreeding them until they're all just the same thing um, and do get taken out by one thing. And that's kind of the importance of different crop breeding programs is to make sure that we have um, enough varieties that if one has a really bad year, we still can grow a different one or um, as conditions change environmental or, you know, abiotic or biotic, we can still have food to eat. Um, yeah. yeah. So that's kind of that <laughs> one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, it, so I personally haven't seen Interstellar. I was, when you proposed, I thought it was a different movie. I can't remember what movie I thought it was, but um, no, Interstellar is one that I've heard a lot of really great things about that everyone seems to be in love with. So it's another one that's gonna have to go on top of my list to, to watch but I did do a little bit of research on it before the episode and I definitely can see the the value in 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 the movie in terms of like the agricultural story behind it um but no it's something that I mean we we obviously like like you mentioned are preparing for right now is trying to prevent some of that kind of stuff from happening um and we actually have seen some of that stuff happen in the past and you know, we've seen crops that have you know come very close to going completely extinct because of you know lack of genetic diversity um i know a few years ago we had a massive issue with bananas in uh south america we had been you know we almost had a completely extinct banana crop from what i heard uh because uh i think it was tropical run four or some kind of like a panama disease some kind of virus swept through and almost killed all the all the banana crops because they didn't have any genetic diversity they were all like you know almost clones of each other you know to to a t and, and they just completely wiped out their crop so it's you know, it's a real concern. It's something that's definitely worth uh, having preparations for just in case. Um, again, you're not like a fear mongering thing, like, you know, it's the end times we're all going to lose all of our food, but like having that awareness is something that could definitely, you know, save us in, in the long run. Yeah. I think citrus greening is kind of a similar thing, isn't that? Yeah. 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 That, that yeah. is something that or, is. Yeah. Sorry, Amy, cut you off. <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't actually have anything. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> no, but like, you know, it's, it's that same kind of idea. You know, it's just, if we don't take more time to, you know, cautiously think about what we're doing, like from an industry perspective, you know, genetic uh, similarity is very important, right? Because then we get, you know, very consistent crops and very consistent product, but that's not how biology likes to work. You know, the, the, the environment is very quick to kill things that are not good at adapting. And if we make everything the same, it's not going to be very good at adapting. Mm -hmm. And that's just kind of, you know, that's almost like a biology 101 kind of concept. Um, but you know, you would, you would think that people would, would understand that. And then we kind of get into this point where we're starting to see crops that are 
struggling in that regard and we're having to have backups for just because we get so caught up in having a consistent product that we forget to make sure that product can actually survive in the current atmosphere. Um, but yeah, I think that, I mean, the, the idea of like taking that extreme as far as you can and looking at it from the lens of like, okay, well, what if we ran out of every other crop and we just had to eat corn, which corn would be the last crop that we would fall to. I mean, it, it is kind of our staple crop for everything. Um, but I think, I think that's really, it's an interesting concept and it's kind of like a funny, you know, in, in, in an ironic way, um, it's kind of a funny idea to, to think about. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, and I think that that's really, I mean, I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to add on to that, but I mean, without, without seeing it, I have, it's hard for me to talk a whole lot about the the movie itself, but the idea behind it is very important. And like you said, that is probably one of the more accurate examples that we have on our list today. Yeah, I don't think I have anything else on Interstellar. Um, I, I was kind of meh about it. It's not my favorite Nolan movie, to be yeah. honest. Uh, mostly cause I'm just like, it, it's very science heavy. So it's, gotcha. uh, it's, uh, it gets a little confusing if, if you're not, uh, good at tracking the science from what I remember, I only saw it once. I'd probably like it better if, if I saw it again, but I did really like the robot in it. So that's very nice. <laughs> There's a very good, good, uh, robot in it. So that's always a, a plus. <laughs> yeah. A good robot can make a movie sometimes, mm-hmm. but that's, that's awesome. All right. Well, um, are there any other movies, books, TV shows that you wanted to, to bring up in, in here? No, I think that is is certainly not an exhaustive list, but a, <laughs> a good start. <laughs> yes. I mean, like I said, there's there's an infinite amount of, of media that can be covered under this list just because, as I've mentioned in previous episodes, I, you know, agriculture can be related to almost anything. These are just some of the more obvious examples of it, you know, things where it is physically shown on screen or physically talked about in, in the words of the book or you know whatever it is. Um, so we really wanted to kind of get this together because we think it'd be important for people to be able to observe these media and, and learn from them and, you know, learn to, to appreciate agriculture a bit more just from consuming media that they would consume anyways. You know, um, it, it's, it's always funny to me when I talk to people about, you know, where agriculture is in, in different, you know, aspects of media. And after we talk about it, they're like, you know, I didn't, I didn't realize it, but I was watching this movie the other day and it had a farm in the background. And I'm like, yeah, it's mm-hmm. everywhere. I'm talking, I'm telling you. And, um, but yeah, no, it, it's, you know, it's important to have these conversations. It's important to get people interested in, in, in kind of paying attention to that kind of stuff because they don't realize just how much it ties into everything. Even if it is a little inaccurate, sometimes it's okay. You know, the fact that it's there is, is what counts. Sure. Um, but now I have to, you know, I think, I think there's a couple exercises that we, we should do to, to kind of close this episode out. Okay. So first of all, uh, what do you think are some of the most accurate examples we talked about today? Um, well, I mean, I said Interstellar is, is pretty high up there. Um, mm. I think Harvest Moon and Stardew Valley are probably pretty high as far as just like the, the overview basics. Um, and then maybe like B-movie in certain aspects and, <laughs> and Dune in certain aspects um, are probably my top ones. Okay. I'd have to agree with that. I think that from from what I've learned about the movie, Interstellar is definitely up there. Um, Harvest Moon and Stardew Valley are kind of what my go-to examples are for like accurate agricultural representation in media. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Farming Simulator 2, yeah, but it's kind of like its own thing. Um, 
and then like yeah b movie has like some decent examples in there but it's kind of meh you know just because it's, it's like it's paired with things that are yes. wildly inaccurate <laughs> yeah if you could cut out all of the very random like memes from the movie it'd be a somewhat accurate movie in terms of agricultural <laughs> representation but other than that it's something else it is. um but yeah i think that's that's a good list so now i i have a challenge for you okay if you could design your own form of media you know it could be a movie a video game a tv show a book whatever that represents agriculture doesn't necessarily have to be all about agriculture, but it has, you know, it has to have some kind of representation in there. Uh, what would you do? Oh man, what a, <laughs> what a lovely surprise question that I am completely unprepared for. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, so I do creative writing, so I'm, I think I'm going to go with a book, although I think a video game is probably easier. Um, I think I would probably just I mean, center the novel around, um, around like uh, someone who does farming, um, or perhaps someone who, uh, maybe like a certified crop advisor who mm-hmm. like <laughs> is involved across multiple farms. Um, you could do like an extension person. Oh man, another good one that would have been great to talk about is Grapes of Wrath, which is oh, about the yeah. dust bowl. There you so, go. Like, that- so that's a really good example that that centers around a farming family and talks about kind of I mean, a lot of it is more their journey, um, but it does kind of touch on those things, because I think if you get it from the viewpoint of a farmer, then you could potentially talk about um, more of the elements that they have to deal with, for example, in you mentioned like farming simulator, you can have different like brands of technology, but mm-hmm. like, is it a problem if those two brands of technology don't talk to each other? <laughs> like, that's something I know farmers have to deal with is like, oh, I have this GPS program, but it doesn't talk to this other program that I have on, you know, this fertilizer thing. Um, they don't use the term fertilizer thing. <laughs> They're more <laughs> accurate, but something like that, where it's like, having to see the day-to-day and then but centering it specifically within a larger community um so that you are dealing with you know the general shop owner that you're selling your product to or um you know the farmer that you hire or the person that you you know uh, give them part of your crop if their family is sick or help them raise their barn and things like that um, so I would probably center it in, in that setting, probably. Okay, that that sounds pretty interesting. I I, I would play that or what? Did, I, I you could put it in whatever you yeah, whatever media say, you want to. I guess I was gonna say you, you didn't specify if it was gonna be like a movie or a, a video game or whatever. So I I I would consume that media. Yeah, I would probably <laughs> lean into like a a. You know what? I would do a stage play. A stage Ooh. play would be a very good. Uh, a very good setting for that because stage plays lean very well into like a community of characters that are like oftentimes very um hyperbolic in yeah. certain ways so you could kind of to easily communicate how things work you could kind of lean into certain things um, i like that yeah yeah i would huh. do a stage play yeah that, that's I, awesome. you should do an episode on music i oh. related music that's what we didn't even talk about. 
I actually, I did, 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 I did, yeah, I can't talk. I did do an episode on that about a year ago, I think. I missed um, it. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'll have to. I, what a I do, fool I am. <laughs> I do need to do an updated version of it. But um, yeah, I did an episode on that about a year ago with a buddy of mine who produces music. And we talked about um, kind of like the origins of agriculture and music and how they tie to each other, because a lot of music actually was created because it was like an agricultural work song. Sure, sure. So that was a really cool. I mean, we didn't get into like a ton of examples of like modern songs that relate to agriculture. So that could be a kind of a fun episode to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but we did talk about kind of the history of music and how it relates to the history of agriculture. So that was, that was a fun one. I'm um, sorry, yeah. I missed it. Send me the link. <laughs> no, I, def- I definitely, that, that, that was an easy one to miss. It was a while ago, um, but that was a fun one. Um, but yeah, that'd be, I mean, if, if you did like an agricultural musical, I'm not even a musical fan and I would hundred percent go and watch it. Perfect. This is good to know. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, no, that, that's funny. I would probably, I, I thought about it a little bit. I would either do, well, I like to write. So I, I, I'm considering writing a book on this anyways. Um, but I would either do like a movie or a video game because I'm a big fan of video games um, on some kind of like a, like a, almost like a Stardew Valley style um, where you have like a farm that you run but obviously a lot more intricate. So you have to actually like take care of like soil health. You have to actually like, you know, take care of your, your animals and like the animals can get, can get sick and you have to use like very specific types of medicine for them. Um, you know, like, but I want like one of the things I've always wanted for like Stardew Valley or, you know, Harvest Moon or like games like that is to have some kind of like consistent economy or market where it's like certain crops can go down and other crops can grow up. And there's like an advantage to growing one thing over another. And, you know, there's like some kind of actual, strategy to what you grow and how you grow it um because so I, i've always loved I'm, I'm a big fan of like fantasy and like you know like obviously sci-fi as well but also just kind of the idea of like harry potter all the all the magical creatures that are involved and and you know lord of the rings like you know the the, the magical creatures involved like that's always something that's really interested me and so like from a young age i've been really fascinated with magical creatures and i always thought it'd be really cool to have like a game or like a movie where it's like magical creatures but ag so like you know like they're farming but they're but all everything that they farm is like a a magical version of what already exists so like you know instead of cows they'd have like some kind of creature that is similar to cows almost like luke's cow that produces milk but it's like a different creature um something along those lines but like it applies all the same properties that that they're involved in agriculture you know like applying you know medication you know using pesticides using uh, fertilizers um irrigation techniques like all that kind of stuff but it's just like a different you know like instead of using uh like a commonly used pesticide you use like something that's like a, a like a magical version of it or whatever um, sure. and like the idea behind that would be it's it's still like educational from the perspective of it has like the the accuracy there but it's not going to be like it's going to be something that that people can relate to that aren't going to be like you know either bored or confused by like the you know, oh, this is what they use in, in modern, like veterinary practices or whatever. Um, sure. So like having kind of like a more of like a, like a fantasy spin on like a Stardew Valley, which Stardew Valley does have like monsters in it and stuff. So I guess that's kind of like, there, there's a game I used to play called Rune Factory, which is like, you literally own a farm, but you can go and like fight monsters and you can like own like a wolf that, that follows you around and stuff like that. And it's like sure. a, a really cool game. Um, But I, I wish they would have expanded it to make it a lot more like, intricate in terms of like the the amount of effort that goes into the farming versus the amount of effort that goes into the monster hunting sure um so i would design either a game or a movie that yeah it's focused on like fantasy farming and also focus on 
you know, like you have like the, the research aspect of it too. Like I, I want a game where I can go and like do research on things outside of my farm. So like you can do research on like plant life and you can use that research to improve like your genetic diversity on your farm, or you can do research on animals and you can, you know, introduce those animals to your livestock herd or, you know, like the more research you do, the more you can improve your practices kind of, that's kind of where I'm going with it. Yeah. I like that a lot. I love the idea of using fantasy and just like, uh, you know, kind of couching it in something that might draw in people who wouldn't be drawn in by just like a straight up egg game. There is, um, I've, I forgot there's a game and I can't remember the name. I'll try and find it and send it to you, but it is about, uh, a like a winery basically where you're huh. growing different grape varieties. And I think they do have some kind of soil testing or like crop breeding program. That's a little bit more intricate. So I'll have to see if there's, if there's that, which is obviously not fantasy, but it does, it is more intricate. Um, I think maybe in its economics, but also in, um, kind of that other side of taking care of the crops and optimizing with breeding and different, you know, soil amendments and things like that. So I'll have to look that up. I think it's like an indie Nintendo game. So yeah, I'll, I'll definitely have to check that out. That sounds really interesting. Yeah. Awesome. Well, you know, I, I've kept you long enough. I'm sure you have a, a busy day ahead of you. So um, I think that we're in a good position to wrap this up. If you have any other, you know, anything else to add to the conversation? Uh, no, I just want to say thank you so much for having me on. I love doing nerdy things like this. Uh, <laughs> so it's been an absolute Pleasure and honor to be on uh, again. Oh, and Brendan was on our show, Field Lab Earth, uh, talking about ag literacy. So if you want more of Brendan, which presumably you do as a fan <laughs> of the show, you should go check it out. Yeah, you know, thank you know, thanks again for well, thanks for the plug and for you know, send people. I'll definitely send people over your way. I'll have your show linked in, in my description so people can go check you out. Um, you know, thanks for thanks for coming back on. It's always a pleasure to have you on here, especially when we get to talk about stuff that's like still ag is still on on our wheelhouse but it's a little outside of our usual conversations um you know gets to be a little goofy a little nerdy it's always more fun that way um but yeah thanks you know it's been fun conversation it went a little bit longer than i was expecting but um i think that you know we had a a pretty good amount of stuff to talk about so that's kind of expected sure thank you so much for having me on yeah, thanks for coming on. And thanks to all the listeners for tuning in and for supporting the show. Uh, again, go check out Abby over on Field Lab Earth. I'll be sure to link all that stuff in the description so you can go check her out. Go check out my episode on that show. I think that'd be a lot of fun if you guys want to hear my voice if you haven't gotten enough of it already, uh, which I don't know how you haven't because if you've been listening to my episodes, I talk way too much for my for my own show. But uh, yeah, so that, that kind of wraps things up. So catch I'll hope, yeah, I can't talk today, man. I hope to catch all of you next week. And don't forget, if you ate today, thank a farmer. <laughs>